Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. I'm Erin Viner, filling in for Jonathan Hessen. With less than 100 days to go before its general election, Israel is facing military and security challenges, which refuse to wait until the voters have had their say, and the next Knesset either comes up with a new coalition government or gives up and calls for yet another round at the ballot boxes. With Palestinian disappointment over a lack of progress following the visit by U.S. President Joe Biden to the region, Iran steadily stockpiling highly enriched uranium, and Lebanon's Hezbollah organization threatening a balance of power in the eastern Mediterranean Sea, Israel has to walk a fine line between deterrence, defense, diplomacy, and determination to avoid deadly surprises. How is it managing this task? To analyze this, we are joined by Amir Oren, TV7's editor-at-large, host of Watchman Talk and Powers and Play programs, Ambassador Danny Ayalone, who is the co-host of TV7's Middle East Review, Powers and Play panelist, and former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., and Reserve Colonel Reuben Ben Shalom, TV7 Powers and Play panelist, cross-cultural strategist, and an associate at ICT International Institute for Counterterrorism at Reichman University. Thanks so much for joining us today. Amir, let's start with you. Can you please give us an overall assessment of the current situation? Erin, uh, allow me to uh, bring up uh, a name from the past. Naftali Bennett. Do you remember? <laughs> I don't know. It's a little tough. He used to be the prime minister of Israel until a couple of weeks ago. Now, Yair Lapid, uh, who used to be his alternate uh, PM, took over from him. And uh, Bennett uh, slowly recedes into the past because he's not uh, standing up uh, for uh, re-election, not even to the Knesset uh, November 1st. So the first uh, uh, question uh, Israelis ask themselves is, uh, does it matter? Is there any uh, discernible shift in the um, uh, Israeli national security and foreign policy uh, domain uh, in the move from Bennett uh, to Lapid? And the short answer is no. First of all, because there are no uh, hotspots uh, on the table right now. Of course, there are all the usual suspects, uh, which uh, you mentioned, at least uh, partly. There are others. But right now, there is no conflagration. The other uh, reason why, as of now, there is continuity is that the defense minister, Benny Gantz, uh, is still in place. And um, he is actually uh, the only minister, um, the only key minister, there were other marginal ones, but the only key minister to have stayed on from the Netanyahu cabinet, um, uh, which uh, left office uh, a bit more than a year ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gantz, uh, as a former Israeli Defense Forces chief of staff, um, reflects the basic continuity in Israeli security policy, which is drafted by the military. Of course, the military respects uh, the uh, political echelons authority. But because politicians usually don't want to come up with any program, which uh, may leave them exposed to criticism, they wait for the generals to come up with a draft 
um, program, and then they give their seal of approval. So uh, to sum it all up, right now, as we head uh, uh, into the elections, no initiative is expected. Israel will not be proactive. It may have to react as um, uh, the need arises. Ambassador Ilone, do you agree with that assessment? No major policy shifts. And a second part of the question is, if you can get to both of them, um, how difficult was it for U.S. President Biden to come at this time of transition in Israel? Did he have to walk a fine line? Okay, I'll start maybe with the second part of your question. Sure. It wasn't too much of a, um, let's say, of a perplexion or any embarrassment or any kind of uh, um, unusual uh, diplomatic uh, step to come over here. You know that... Uh, for a long time, uh, we say that uh, it doesn't matter who uh, occupies either the uh, um, White House or the Prime Minister's office here. The relationship is between the countries and mm -hmm. they are very, very deep and strong because it's a natural uh, relationship. It's a natural alliance because of the shared values, because of the shared interests, because of the same We can interject. Interest. Do you think it's just as strong today as it was at the time that you served as ambassador? Oh, yes, I Good. think so. I think so. And uh, we see it even during Biden, uh, I'm sorry, during Obama, which was not the most, um, did not show the most affinity uh, towards Israel. This was when the pact, the um, unprecedented um, all-time high uh, defense cooperation between uh, the two countries uh, happened, the $38 billion of military aid, which I do not call aid. I think it's part of the partnership of uh, the defense partnership between Israel and the United States. And here, Aaron, I think it is very important to stress that this is a two-way street. Uh, there is no doubt that Israel is the junior uh, partner here, but the United States benefits a lot from this partnership, benefits a lot from the support, and uh, Israel being its most dependent ally in the region, and uh, I would say uh, at large. Today, when Israel is a very strong country, strategically, technologically, economically, certainly it is an, it's a great added value. You know, it's a palpable uh, value to the uh, United States. Danny, the I, never, I never saw you give uh, a coin or a bill to a beggar and then tell him, but remember, we are partners. You know, <laughs> it's the, well, you know the, the story. But look at what about, we give back. We also give a course. lot back. The yeah. story is about the fly on the back of the elephant you know, looking back and says, see how much uh, dust we raise here. So, no, but I think it is true. And certainly when the United States now is overextended, they need regional partners and they need dependable, strong regional partners. And Israel is one like that. So in, in that respect, um, uh, Biden actually, it's Biden's, you know, if you look now into American politics a little bit, uh, Biden's main, uh, I would say, agenda was out of his own political needs in the United States, economic needs in the United States. So for him, it didn't really matter much who would welcome him here. And of course, when you have this uh, cloak of countries and not personalities, it helped him to really uh, not to uh, have to um, break his teeth in explaining why he was here during such a political upheaval here in Israel. Now, going back to the first uh, part of the question, I think Israel... Uh, and, and I will see it quite um, carefully because, you know, I don't want to show too much uh, uh, arrogance. Uh, you know, we know arrogance can breed a lot of uh, danger. But Israel sits very pretty these days in terms of our geopolitical situation. The Abram Accords, you know, created a kind of an alliance, informal alliance with the uh, Arab countries, the Sunni Arab countries in the Gulf. We have an um, 
eastern um, basin of the Mediterranean alliance with uh, Greece and Cyprus. Greece and, right, which is also very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have um, energy sources today that Israel has become a net exporter of uh, energy. And yes, of course, there are quite a few flies in the ornament. Uh, one, of course, is Iran. But I do think, if we have time, I, I, I do think that we do have some uh, good answer to the Iranian threat. We have Hezbollah, and the most important thing to me with Hezbollah now is to guard our new uh, drilling project in the Karish right. um, reservoir of uh, natural gas, which is on our economic borders, but is claimed by Hezbollah as it is in the Lebanese, and they are threatening to attack it. But even here, I think we have remedy for that, and I think Hezbollah and all the other foes of Israel are quite deterred. Uh, Colonel Ben Shalom, can you expand a bit on the U.S. military partnership when President Biden was here, in fact? He spent a great deal of time going out to see Iron Dome anti-missile batteries, also checking out the iron laser beam that shoots down incoming projectiles. How important was that for him to see these things? Well, the visit itself, and for the president to see or not say, I don't don't think that's the most important thing. I think, by the way, visits like this are blown out of proportion. Of course, the significance of the visit, the messages are important. But to go and say that the uh, Jerusalem Declaration is a historic document, that's an overstretch. Can you tell our viewers what the Jerusalem Declaration was? was We'll continue to do a lot of good stuff together, and we're great friends. I think that's what it says. Very concise. Uh, and again, it's important. Our relationship is very important. Don't forget, I'm an Israeli, but I'm also an American, and I love both countries, okay? And the partnership is amazing. And this visit was good, and there are good messages, and everything's wonderful. And yes, we collaborate very strongly in missile defense. Uh, so, of course, you will see that, because that's one of the most important uh, points of our collaboration, of R&D, and operational deployment these days. But I think I already said, politics put aside Politicians are ridiculous. Okay, now let's talk. Let's talk about this issue. Says the military and, guy. Yeah. Uh, no, I, lo- I love diplomacy, but come on, politicians now are re- being re- ridiculous. So, for many, many years, we have a very important collaboration. It's a strategic collaboration. The militaries work hand in hand in an array of fields, from you know missile defense to intelligence sharing to logistics. Israel relied on this for many years. The Yom Kippur War. I think we were saved by the Americans, right? With the what we call the air train that came here, Operation Amir can help me. Nickel Grass. Nickel Grass, thank you very much. Galaxies. And for, and for the last 20 years that I've been involved with this, it's a gradual progress. Everything's structured. We know where we're going. We, we have this outlined, and we go and move forward with it. Presidents come. Presidents go. They're always for it. They're always pushing it. Like we just said now, even when Israelis said, Obama hates us. Obama was with us 100%. And at the t- when, when he was in office... I, I could say back then our partnership has never been better. And it's still the same thing. Um, it's important to say that Israelis, we love to say we will defend ourselves by ourselves. And I think even President Biden worded that. But of course, when we say that, by ourselves, with our great partner, the United States, and remember that a lot of the technology that we invent is funded by the United States. Right. Mutual project, it's hand in hand. And also Biden visited with American soldiers stationed here mm-hmm. as part of the missile defense system. Yeah. Uh, he he uh, had a photo op with a combined Israeli and American contingent in one of the Air Force bases. We have boots on the ground for many, many years. There's a site in Israel where American troops, there's an American flag, and they're here for what? Sure. 
to protect us and to help us. But I do have to say that the collaboration is such that the United States benefits immensely in the Middle East. Many thousands of American lives were saved in their campaigns in the Middle East. And this is, it's documented, you know, we, our technology, our information, or I would say our mutual ventures benefit the United States strategically. So certainly this is a hand-in-hand collaboration. What can you tell us, Samir, about the uh, recent visit by the new CENTCOM, the U.S. Central Command commander, who uh, is General Michael Carrillo? What can you tell us about his visit to Israel? Yes, um, uh, this is his second visit uh, in the very short time uh, um, he has served in this position. He was well known uh, to his uh, Israeli friends and colleagues from his earlier posts in the uh, Airborne um, Division and Corps and uh, with JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command, Israeli paratroop and uh, commando officers have uh, cooperated with him. He is considered a great friend of the Israeli Defense Forces, but he is in charge of 20-some countries in the region, and he must see how this uh, interoperability and collaboration are uh, seamlessly meshed with other militaries. And he has uh, both the Fifth Fleet under Vice Admiral Brett Cooper and other elements of uh, CENTCOM. Uh, he has, um, uh, for, for the second time, uh, visited with uh, General Aviv Kohavi, the IDF Chief of Staff, they focused, uh, at least officially, maybe unofficially, they uh, went into some clandestine uh, projects, but officially they uh, focused on anti-drone, anti-missile defense, the so-called uh, air defense architecture in which Israel gives its um, uh, knowledge and technology to uh, certain Arab Gulf countries in order to better prepare against the common threat uh, Iran. But also Israel has been operating in Syria, which is, again, under CENTCOM's uh, area of uh, jurisdiction, of authority. Israel has been operating both against Daesh, ISIS, as well as uh, Iranian proxies and militias. And this is, of course, in close coordination with the United States. So at one time, um, there was this joke that the United States has UCOM, which is the European Command. It has SOCOM, which is, of course, Special Operations Command. It has CENTCOM, and it has JUCOM, which is the IDF. <laughs> so the joke uh, uh, is more serious than it sounds. Israel is now really um, in cahoots with the U.S. military. Uh, that's, that's insightful, to say the least. Um, Ambassador Ayalon, let's take a step back and go to the Israeli internal political situation. Since we're coming up on elections on November 1st, which will be our fourth in uh, three years, can you tell us, uh, first of all, many people are very perplexed. Why did our former, our second-to-last Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, why is he not running? Amir mentioned that earlier. Why is he stepping back from politics, from the highest office, and to leaving politics? Will the fact that Yair Lapid got his chance to head the government, even briefly, will that help his chances? He's the head of the Yeshatid centrist party. 
And also referring back to something Amir said that uh, Benny Gantz is the only significant minister who's remained in place since the Netanyahu era as defense minister. Will this help him at the ballot box? He's the head of the Blue and White Party. What are we going to see? Yeah, well, just by uh, the uh, virtue of your questions, you understand the imbroglio here of the political scene. I would say, and Naftali uh, Bennett, he's not running because uh, his political achievements were very abysmal. He was a good prime minister, you know, very uh, businesslike, but he didn't take care of his own party. His party just fell apart. So he has no supporters. He is a leader without any uh, support. I guess he also took some uh, polls private polls to show that he has no chance maybe even to uh, go over the threshold. So he could have been very embarrassing for him. Is that because of his perceived compromises? His party, Yamina, is considered to be right of the right. So is that why? Right. Because, right. Because it was perceived very right and he governed from the center. All his right-wing supporters left him, but he did not gain any left-wing or any central, you know, which clung to their own leaders, whether it was Gantz or Lapid or or whatever. So uh, I think what he did from his own perspective is let me go on a very high note so maybe I'll have a chance to come back. Maybe they will miss me in a few years. This is... Uh, that could be a good strategy. This is... A, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. He's probably working for the long uh, run. You know, he uh, he knows what exits are. You know, he made his own exit in high tech. So he's True. a multi-billionaire, a uh, millionaire. Uh, so I guess he followed suit with the same practice. When it comes to um, to Yair Lapid and Benny Gantz, um, right now the polls show that uh, neither of them can, um, can really form a government without the other. Um, I would say that uh, the, um, the elephant in the room here is Bibi Netanyahu. Yep. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu, if you look from any angle, he is, I would say, the jam for the entire um, impasse in Israeli politics for the last four years. Because a government could have been uh, formed with Likud and the other side as a national uh, unity government had it not been Netanyahu. Because half of the country, at least, does not want to see Netanyahu in power because they see him as corrupt, as um, somebody who does who takes care of his own interests before the interest of the country. However, still in the polls, um, Likud is the, the the largest party. However, it's not a game of parties; it's a game of the blocks. And here, if the Likud cannot get 61 out of 120 members of Knesset, you know, you need a majority to form a government, then we may, you know, go into the next elections unless something will buckle. My um, understanding or my thinking is that if Netanyahu cannot form a government, it's going to be his last elections because the religious who are the religious parties who are his natural allies mm-hmm. and uh, bank on on all their funds from the government on a government that they are staying in the government, they will not want to stay outside of government for another term. And if they um, uh, opt out, some people in Likud will also have the courage to say, you are the problem, and otherwise we could have had a government long ago. Interesting point. That's very interesting to think I about I want to, to protest, and I, and I know I reflect Danny's uh, view too, 
Um, the fact that you did not mention Avigdor Lieberman, Dennis yes. Old, I old actually boss. thought about yes. that. But well, Lieberman is uh, certainly behind the scenes. He is an arch politician that can really make things uh, uh, move around. I think that uh, uh, there is a good chance, at least 50% chance, that the next government will be led either by Gantz or Lapid, depending mm-hmm. who pushes or pulls better than, uh, than the other, uh, in the same kind of... Um, paved road that was blazed by uh, Naftali Bennett. And just to uh, clarify for some of our viewers, uh, yes, when you were serving as a deputy foreign minister, it was as part of Avigdor Lieberman's Israel Betenu party. Mm-hmm. And he still is a, a steady force in government. He's a steady, his current finance minister. Steady force, but de- declining in power. His ambition was to become prime minister. Uh, you know, he has a lot of... Um, nefarious baggage, excess baggage that he uh, carries. His main, um, I would say, his main uh, supporters are the uh, veteran Russian uh, Jews, you know, uh, who immigrated to Israel, but they are also dwindling in terms, you know, matter of age. Uh, He will continue to play a part, but only secondary. I don't think he will ever come up to the top position, although Amir would love him. Yes, but but, you know, one doesn't get uh, everything. But um, (laughs) Lieberman's second most ambition was to become prime minister. His top priority was to oust Netanyahu (laughs) from the prime ministership. (laughs) So so, uh, for the time being, um, he's satisfied (laughs) with that. Uh, Reuven, let's come back to you for a moment and touching again on something that that was mentioned earlier. Can we explore more deeply what is the significance of Israel's military question here, transition from UCOM, which you've mentioned, to uh, CENTCOM? For many, many years, Israel has been aspiring to transition to CENTCOM. The perception here was that since CENTCOM does business in the Middle East, and they're responsible for all the Arab countries, and our enemies are there, our challenges are there, our fights and our wars are there, we should be under the umbrella, the AOR, area of responsibility, of the combatant command that deals with that area, and not the European command, even though we like to be perceived as Europeans, you know, what's the connection? So we would do roundabout business with UCOM, doing business in the CENTCOM AOR. I'm sorry for all these acronyms. So we've been asking and pleading and bringing it up once in a while, typical Israelis. And then one day the Americans said, yeah, you know what, that's a good idea, in Trump's, uh, Trump's administration. And since then, Israelis are happy This is finally uh, realizing our dream. But of course, it does make sense operationally. Um, For many years, we have been working with CENTCOM. When I was in that field, I would work with CENTCOM. They just didn't have a name tag because no one could know that CENTCOM were here. Of course, they were here. Now they're here overtly. You know, we're under their area of responsibility, doing very good collaboration. All these visits now are to build the infrastructure, build the fieldwork, build the, the, the plans and the procedures that we will have to operate someday when the time comes. And that time may come soon. But there's an additional point here. Uh, just like uh, the United States is a two-ocean power, Israel, too, uh, have, has two seas, the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. Uh, the, Mediterranean, the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee and, and the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea. We've got yes, four seas. Of course. And there's a puddle outside of this. Uh, the Dead Red and that's, So, so um, for many years, uh, Israel's uh, Eastern Mediterranean front was more important, and Israel wanted to take part in NATO. Now, the uh, uh, NATO 
commanding officer, the, the commander of the forces in NATO is dual-headed as the commander of UCOM. It is always an American officer. So during that time, and until recently, Israel made an effort to have an association with NATO in one form or another. The Turks, uh, along with other problems, prevented it. So uh, eventually Israel decided that if there is a threat from the West, it will probably be assisted by the Sixth Fleet. But for the time being, being moved to CENTCOM is better. Now, just this past March, the previous CENTCOM commander, uh, General McKenzie, General Kenneth McKenzie, made an estimation that the threat that was posed by Iran, this is just past March, is graver than ever. Is this view shared by the the current one? Yeah, but Carilla? Yes, but but uh, he also uh, Carilla also uh, had a similar statement uh, during his confirmation uh, hearings. But um, what they mean is not the nuclear threat. On the nuclear file, they support the administration's move to renew the 2015 JCPOA, yes. the deal. What they um, uh, referred to was the fact that Iran has proxies, uh, has um, uh, Shiite militias in Syria, in Iraq, in, and other places, in Yemen, fighting American and Israeli interests. There, the United States and Israel are on the same page. Did Israel's um, initiative and its objections to the JCPOA of renewing it, of restarting it, which during the talks in Vienna, did that have any effect on the fact that, that no final agreement has, has yet to be reached? I don't think so. I think the, uh, all the, um, the keys are in Tehran. And basically the reason we do not have another JCPOA or an, uh, an agreement is because the Iranians uh, intransigence or the Iranians actually, um, you know, raising the bars, making more and more uh, demands. The Americans would have loved to, uh, to sign the agreement and just uh, take it out of the, uh, of, the, of the table. It's certainly a political, uh, on the political agenda of Biden. He doesn't need another headache. He would like to solve that uh, problem. But it, it are, it, these are the Iranians. So um, Israel may think that it has an influence, but none whatsoever, just like we didn't have any in the 2015. Okay, quick answer from each of you. Uh, what can we expect until we get the formation of a next government, which would be sometime after November when the election takes place? Will Hamas try to make a point, like the firing of uh, four rockets uh, recently, or Hezbollah step up? Are they going to try to take advantage of our political instability? I think we're, because we're talking about leaders with interests, including their own PR, I think, yes, uh, we could see that. But not necessarily a war. It could be what we call days of battle. Mm -hmm. I think they could challenge us. They think that at a time like this, we're more vulnerable. We'll also see Israeli leadership that at a time like this, in election time, they will want to show how prominent they are, how strong and forceful they are, and then they'll go to the media and they'll say, you see what we did, we acted, that happened just this week. Well, they don't know how it will end, so maybe they'll be cautious, maybe. I think this is also part of the calculation of the Hezbollah and Hamas, knowing that these guys here today will have to show force because they are seen weak. So uh, counterintuitively, I think they will keep quiet now until the elections. We'll find out. Well, that does bring us to the end of this episode. I'm Erin Viner, and I'd like to thank today's guests, TV7 editor-at-large, Amir Oren, Ambassador Danny Aiello, and as always, and Colonel Ben Shalom. Thanks thank for you. being with us. And thank you, our audience, for joining us. We hope to see you next time.
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.